do this together. So let's read this verse, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse number 9. One, two, three, let's read it. Here we go. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. What a great verse. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9, what a great verse. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God. But I love this phrase, the faithful God. So throughout this series of Grace on Display, we learned a lot of things, and I hope uh, that you have taken notes, and I hope that it's been a blessing to you. It has spoken to your heart as a Christian and helped deepen uh, your love for Jesus Christ. We've learned about the motives in which to serve God, and that's because of God. We've learned that generosity. Uh, The only reason we can be generous is because God has been so generous to us by sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for us. God has been so good to us and that he's given us gifts and talents to where we can become a gift to the church. God has redeemed those things and allows us to have a part in the body of Christ. It's not pastor and me and then everybody else. No, it's everybody together. And God has given us that uh, as a gift to the church. Uh, and I want to say a little bit uh, something about that from last week. Man, God has wired each and every one of us uniquely. And that was for a purpose. Because each and every one of us has a part to serve here. And I love how Pastor just practically said, if you don't like kids, then just don't serve with the kids, all right? And that's a good thing, all right? But if you have other gifts and talents that God would love to use, see, God doesn't place people in the church for no purpose. He does it for a purpose. And he gives each and every one of us gifts and talents so that we can be used to further the church. I just want to, um, today, what Pastor gave me the subject on to finish it out is the faithfulness of God. Um, And sometimes when we think about the faithfulness of God, sometimes it can just kind of be put into the back of our heads. Sometimes the faithfulness of God is something where you literally have to sit down and think about when it comes to his faithfulness. Sometimes we go through the mundanes of life all of the time, and yet sometimes we never think about, man, God was faithful to me in that time. And sometimes it takes us a little bit to step back and go, wow, at that moment, I I didn't think he was there. But when I took a step back and realized what happened, wow, he was so faithful to me. And that's what I want to speak about today. Grace on display, the faithfulness of God. In our culture today, the idea of faithfulness is very unpopular. Okay? This includes the Christian and the non-Christian. We live in a generation that has no handle on what loyalty or commitment even means. Generations previous to ours were a lot more committed and faithful in their relationships and endeavors. We see unfaithfulness in marriages, We see unfaithfulness in work, friendships, family. Man, we even see unfaithfulness when it comes to sports, okay? We see unfaithfulness. Uh, Kevin Durant, right, Uh, the new star of the uh, Golden State Warriors. Come on, if you guys are Golden State Warriors fans, you know this. He was loyal to Oklahoma City Thunder, but all of a sudden it wasn't so convenient for him anymore, so he upped and left and went to Golden State, and a lot of you guys are happy about that, okay? Even in sports, you'll find that there's not even real loyalty or commitment or faithfulness to a team. There's not a lot of players that stay with their team for a majority of time. And so we see that unfaithfulness is is pretty rampant in, in the world that we live in. Our younger generation are growing with the mentality that love is more of a feeling than it is a commitment. 
is more of a feeling than it is a commitment. Hey, love has feelings, right? Man, Valentine's Day for you was probably awesome. You had a lot of feelings going on. It was great to just focus in, but not for the single people here, okay? We don't like Valentine's Day, all right? Until we enter to uh, your position and, and your arena, no, Valentine's Day is not that great, okay? Um, and so we usually just text verses of how much God loves us. That's how we do it, okay? So our generation, yeah, yep, that's how it works, okay? Our generation is growing up, the younger generation is growing up with this mentality that love is more of a feeling than it is a commitment. What I mean by that is this, is I've read a recent article deeming the millennial generation as the hookup generation. This entails that a relationship is pretty much open-ended. The primary cause of this is driven by self-satisfaction and oftentimes the love of self-independence. As long as you get what you want and from whoever, there is no need to commit to just one. What this does is dehumanizes people to mere objects and lust and satisfaction. As the world and our culture begins to drift more and more into this new lifestyle, we as Christians need to rest and believe in the faithfulness of our God. You know, the reality is this, is that you ever want to be faithful to your family, you've got to understand that God has always been faithful to you. If you ever want to have a fighting chance in a relationship, whether that's love or friendships or whatever, you've got to understand that God's greater and he's faithful. You've got to root yourself in his faithfulness so that you can desire to be faithful as well. See, everything starts with God. And faithfulness starts with God. And until we are awed, until we're, in, uh, in, in, until we're rooted in his faithfulness, we don't have a fighting chance. See, God is the epitome of what it means to be faithful. And it's from him we find our courage and strength to be countercultural in this area of life. Understand this, God has never been unfaithful. God has never broken a promise. If I were to ask you, how many of you guys broken a promise already? I wonder how many hands would go up. How many, how many broken promises have we had throughout our lifetime? Yet God has never given us words without commitment. He's always backed it up. See, our God is not a hookup God. God has genuinely committed himself to us through Jesus Christ. We find from Genesis to Revelation a common thread of God's faithfulness. See, the Bible is riddled with promises that God has faithfully kept and, and will keep. So we can trust in those promises because of the one who keeps those promises. So the goal today is this, is to look at the faithfulness of God and allow that to fuel us to live faithfully in a world of unfaithfulness. So here we go. Number one, when we talk about the faithfulness of God. God is faithful in our moments of unfaithfulness in our moments of unfaithfulness. 2 Timothy 2.13 says this, If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. As I said before, God is the epitome of faithfulness. God is faithful, as you read in our text, Deuteronomy 7.9. Know therefore that the Lord, thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep the commandments as in a thousand generations. Everything that God has promised he will be faithful to keep. When I think about God being faithful in the moments of unfaithfulness, it actually brings me to a, uh, an Old Testament account, okay? It brings me to two characters, Hosea and Gomer. It brings me to the book of Hosea. If you, Hosea is kind of in the back of the tail end of the Old Testament. Probably you guys haven't read that, right? No, you probably have or have not, okay? It's in the back of the Old Testament. And when I think of God's faithfulness in our moments of unfaithfulness, it always brings me to this story. See, the book of Hosea is about God's relationship with the people of Israel. 
Now, God told Hosea to do something very radical, something very uncommon. Some of you guys probably already know this. God told him to do something that will get us to understand the radicalness of his faithfulness. So look at Hosea chapter 1, verse 2. It says this on the screen. The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea, and the Lord said to Hosea, this is what he said, Go take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. How crazy is that? What God literally said to him was this. Hosea, I want you to marry a prostitute. How insane is that? I'm single. And if God said that to me, I was like, oh, I don't know. You got that wrong, probably. And I don't know what was going through Hosea's mind, but what God wanted to do was bring a human example of how radical his faithfulness really is. And so he had to go to the depths of the most radical thing human beings could ever think of. And he says to Hosea, I want you to marry a prostitute, someone who's going to be unfaithful, someone who's been around. And I want you to love her. I want you to be faithful to her. And guess what Hosea does? He obeys. Hosea 1.3. So we went back, and he went into Gomer, the daughter of the blame, which conceived and bare him a son. Not only did he marry the woman, he also had a kid. So Hosea now is married to this woman. He loves her. He's developed this. The Bible doesn't give the details, but you can tell he's developed a love for her, a faithfulness to Gomer. They have their kid in Hosea's mind. He's probably thinking, man, this is awesome, God. This has turned out better than I've expected. This is so amazing. And so Hosea was married to Gomer, and they have a son, and they're living a great life together. But in time, Gomer would become unfaithful to Hosea. Gomer would eventually have two more kids, but here's the thing. The Bible doesn't indicate whether they were his. The Bible doesn't indicate whether those were his kids. The narrative would continue that Gomer would then start to not come home late at night. Gomer Gomer would not be at the home uh, as faithfully as she would. She'd be out and about. Hosea would be doing his thing, but he's wondering, where's my wife at? Where is she? How is she doing this? But guess what? Jose was still at home caring for the kids, still at home providing, still at home waiting for his wife, faithfully there. He didn't up and leave. He stayed faithful, loving Gomer. When Gomer was out and there was rumors going around town and they were coming back to Jose, and guess what Jose is thinking? My wife's running around behind my back. She's being unfaithful to me. And yet that's one of the deepest things that could cut to a human heart is unfaithfulness. Now, Gomer would continue to be in her unfaithfulness and it, it would end up leading her into slavery. Pretty much 21st century, it would be pretty much human trafficking is what was happening. She'd find herself in the wrong company and then all of a sudden she'd be auctioned off as a slave. And yet God would tell Jose to do another crazy thing. Not only marry this girl, but at the same time, go buy her back. So let's read Hosea 3, 1 through 2. Then said the Lord unto me, go yet love a woman, beloved of her friends, yet an adulteress, according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel, who look to other gods. Man, here's the thing. They look to other gods and they love flagons of wine. 
And this is what Hosea did. Hosea, so I bought her for me for 15 pieces of silver and for a homer of barley and a half homer of barley. So God tells him, go buy your wife back. Even though she loves all of these things, go buy her back. And he does it. How crazy is that? That he would still buy her back. Out of all the nights that he spent wondering where she was, out of all the times he took care of the kids, by himself, still faithful, still loving, still willing to pay the cost because he was faithful to her. And here's the thing. The point of the book of Hosea was to show Israel one thing here. That God would be faithful to an unfaithful people. Hosea 2, 19 through 23 says this, And I will betroth thee unto me forever. This is God. I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercy. Stop right there. That's pretty awesome stuff. Mercy, loving kindness. But then he says this, and he separates it. He says this, I will betroth thee unto me in faithfulness. In faithfulness. He separates those. And he says, at the end of the day, no matter what you do from here on out, I'm still going to be faithful. And thou shalt know the Lord. And then God opens it up, not just to Israel, but he opens it up to the entire world. And it shall come to pass in that day, I will hear, saith the Lord, I will hear the heavens, and they shall hear the earth. And the earth shall hear the corn and the wine and the oil. And they shall hear Jezreel. And I will sow her unto me in the earth. And I will have mercy upon her that hath not obtained mercy. And I will say to them which were not my people, Thou art my people, and they shall say, Thou art my God. I don't know about you, but God had to bring us to the depths of some radical story. Hosea, marry somebody who's going to be unfaithful to you from the start. And when she does become unfaithful to you, here's one more thing I want you to do that's insane. Buy her back. And that just proves that to you and I, no matter how bad it is, God will always be faithful to us. And yet what that should do for you is make you become radically faithful to him. Here's the thing. Ask yourselves these questions. How many times, and I ask these questions myself, how many times have I been unfaithful to God? How many times have I replaced God when it came to my satisfaction, when it came to my joy, when it came to my worth? How many times have I cheated on my Savior with things that have no comparison? How many times have I found myself chasing other lovers and ending up broken and empty? Yet through it all, God never one time regretted regretted saving me. Never one time did God think about leaving me. Yet never one time did God ever wonder if I was worth it. Yet never one time did God not want to lavish on me his love and his faithfulness. You and I are very unfaithful. And we are loved and cared for and seen worthy by a faithful God. For when I am unfaithful, yet he abides faithful. That's who he is, and yet that puts inside of me a want to be faithful, not rooted in guilt, but rooted in gratitude. For God, have not, for God could have pulled out of this relationship whenever he wanted to. You understand that. But he stays completely faithful to me in my ups and my downs, my victories, my defeats, my shortcomings. He has always been faithful. Lamentations 3, 22 through 24 says this, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Think about it. How many times have you done something where you should have been consumed? 
Because his compassions, what, what do they do? They fail not. They are new every morning. I love this because here's the thing. When you wake up, guess what? His mercies are new every morning. Have you actually acknowledged that one time as you woke up? Like, well, wait, uh, the mercies are new today. That's pretty awesome when you actually think about it. And look at this verse. This is part of the verse. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, therefore will I hope in him. Charles Spurgeon said this. The glory of God's faithfulness is that no sin of ours has ever made him unfaithful. God is the greatest partner in life, you know that. And yet, we can make a list of how many sins we've done against him. And yet, it never budged his faithfulness one time. He has never left us nor forsaken us. And in those moments we feel alone, guess what happens? It's oftentimes you walking away. It's oftentimes you being the gomer. When he's still there waiting for you. When he's still there faithful, set, loving, caring for you. Number one, we've seen that God is faithful in our moments of unfaithfulness. Number two, God is faithful in finishing what he started. I love this. God is faithful in finishing what he started. Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I'm thankful that my God is faithful in the process of my faith. God faithfully finishes what he starts, so breathe out if you think you're a wreck right this morning. Breathe out if you think, oh man, I am terrible. I don't feel like there's ever going to come an end to this. I am not the Christian I want to be. Breathe out because God's still working on you. And the promise is this, that he's going to finish what he starts. See, the process of the Christian life has never been a sprint, right? It's always been a marathon. It's always been a day-to-day, moment-by-moment, working of the Holy Spirit in your life to bring you to a place where he can show Christ that's what all the grace on display is all about, is bringing you to a place where you can project Jesus into the community, project Jesus into the world. And so it's, it's, a, it's a marathon. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witness, witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with what? Patience, the race that is set before us. See, God will faithfully be there to urge you by the Holy Spirit to continue. I want to take a survey real quick this morning. When we talk about God finishing what he starts, that's always not the case for us, okay? Who here has a project at home that is undone? Raise your hand if you have a project at home that you started and you're not even close to finishing, okay? Look around. Okay, we got those people. All right. Who here, raise your hand, has started reading a book and yet you still haven't finished it? Raise your hand. There we go. There we go. Here's another one. (laughs) Who here started going to the gym January 1st and hasn't been back since? Anybody? Anybody? Good, good. Raise your hands. Don't be ashamed. Giancarlo got two up. That's the most workout he did right there. He's got your two up. For the majority, that's all of us, we struggle with finishing what we start. 
But God has never struggled ever with starting and finishing. You're not some gardening project that's left half done. You understand that? You're not some incomplete house project that sits empty because God kind of ran out of funds. You're not some book God picked up and began to read and then all of a sudden got distracted and put it away. See, God will finish what he starts in you. And he's faithful to do that. He's faithful to bring out Christ in you. He has led you to this church where you can hear the word preached faithfully every Sunday. I don't know about you, but here's the thing. Messages are not that easy to come up with, okay? Looking in the Bible and trying to figure out what God wants and ask the Holy Spirit to move in different ways, that isn't just something you just do on Saturday night and kind of just chalk it up and go, hopefully this works. And I'm not here to prop pastor up or anything. I know he doesn't want that at all. But understand this, you have a pastor who actually takes time to do this. There's a lot of pastors who don't really do that. I've heard of a pastor who kind of just looked on the internet and got all his messages. But you have a pastor who faithfully, day in, day out, looks into God's word and tries to bring it to you practically and help you and guide you along. I would have said that if, even if I wasn't full-time. I'm just saying. Here's the thing. He will surround you. God will surround you with other faithful believers who will encourage you and deepen your faith and and love for him through real, genuine community. That's why it's so important that you come on Sundays, but just as much meet throughout the week. See, God's people is only strong as its people. And when we're tied, connected, unified together, not thinking about ourselves, but faithfully loving one another. God is extending his faithfulness through us. That means this, man, if you hear somebody sick, send out a text or something. If you hear that somebody needs something, why don't you go out and do something about it? Write a card to somebody you haven't written a card to in here. Try to actually get to know somebody in the church. Faithfully sharpen one another. The Bible says this, Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpeneth iron. So a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friends. I have several people like that, several people like that, who have helped sharpen me throughout my many years. I lived with Pablo for a while until I got my place. And, uh, man, Pablo sharpened me so many times. And I'm thankful for you, Pablo. (laughs) Pablo's a great guy. Um, I have several other people um, that have been just intricate in sharpening my life. And that's because God is faithful. God is faithful to provide people like that in my life. Not only that, he is faithful to give me people who tell me things I don't want to hear. Proverbs 27, verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Man. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. You need people who are going to tell you what you don't want to hear. And think about it in your head right now. Who are the people that have actually done that to where in the moment, you were like, oh. But afterwards, you're like, oh, thank you, Lord. <laughs> thank you for sending people who, are not, who aren't afraid to wound me. See, God's purpose is to faithfully chisel away the old you and bring forth a man or a woman conformed to the image of his son. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. 
Paul is so confident that God will finish what he starts. 1 Thessalonians 5.24, read this together with me. Here we go. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Faithful is he who calleth you who also will do it. Remember, you're not just some project left undone. God, day in and day out, will faithfully finish what he starts. And the final thing here is God is faithful in our hills and in our valleys. God is faithful in the hills and the valleys. I don't know if you've noticed, but life has its hills and life has its valleys. And can I tell you that God is faithful in both? God is faithful in both. The hills, Psalm 23, 1 through 3. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Man, that's nice. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. To me, I look at that and go, man, that's easy. That's the easy life right there. That's the high times of life. That's the no confrontations kind of life. That's the mountaintops. That's the hills that we get to enjoy the provision of God. He leads us. He helps us. He restores us. See, God is faithful in these times of ease and comfort. God is faithful in these times of success and accomplishment. You know, the natural tendency for you and I is when we're on these hills is to start looking around and start to forget that when we're on these hills, we forget about the one who brought us to the hill, the one who set us on that hill. You and I begin to start thinking, hey, man, I climbed up this hill. Hey, I got to this hill. Hey, man, I got this job promotion. Hey, man, I got this, uh, uh, I got this success here. Hey, man, I've gotten this. I did this. I've done that. We start to, like, get on the hill and start partying all by ourselves, not wondering that, wow, uh, someone actually brought us there. We didn't actually get there ourselves. And what begins to happen is we, we get to think we've arrived. See, we can enjoy the mountaintop or the hill because God brought us there. He was faithful to do so. So in your hills and in your mountaintop experiences, don't forget God because he's the one who brought you there. He's the one who set you there. And here, the valleys. And let's be a little bit honest with this. We experience these a lot more in our lives because these moments bring us to know more of the faithfulness of God. A lot of you guys have a lot more valleys than you do hills. And that's okay. That's okay. Because if you would value the valleys just as much as the hills, you'd find that God is still in the valleys as well. Psalm 23, 4, in the same place. Yea, though, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they what? They comfort me. God goes, you're not going to not be in a valley in your life. But here's the thing. I will be there in the valley too. 